All right, so um, last weekend, Jeremiah, we kind of looked at what I, what I kind of described as Jeremiah's plight. He would have to stand alone and speak unpopular truths to a culture that did not care to hear the truth or anything else God had to say about anything. And, of course, we all had some familiarity in that um, in today's culture. And, and also it's the plight of all those who would seek to speak biblical truth in most periods of time that they face that. Um, now, in this set of verses, in Jeremiah 7, 1 through 8, 3, we see um, why God has become so angry and wrathful, for one thing. And um, so our main idea statement that kind of helps us to understand that and see um, plain and simply why we see this happening in this culture, why God is angry and wrathful at the children of Israel and Judah um, and this is the statement. We should fear a fake faith. We should fear a fake faith. Now, um, in my own personal life, I have been many times um, disappointed and hurt um, by those that I thought were solid Christians, that I thought they had it all together, they were good leaders, and and all that, and only to see them fall, fail, and leave the faith. I've, I've, I've had several in my life that have done that. And uh, it's really difficult for us to see those things. And unfortunately, because of the amount of media that we have now, we are constantly seeing uh, so-called men of God or so-called ministries uh, caught and exposed um, as corrupt or, or sinful, and it's displayed for the world to see, and they make discovery show <laughs> series about it, or, you know, uh, Dateline has done it a million times. You know, we see those things because we have so much media, and there is such a scrutinous eye on what is considered Christianity. Um and it always brings me back to a, a certain verse in Romans, Romans 2.24. Uh, it says, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. And this verse is directly cited actually from Isaiah 52.5. And of course we know Isaiah was uh, kindred spirits with Jeremiah. He was speaking to a nation that was turning from God and those things and and proof that there is hypocrisy throughout all of all of probably known history I mean it's it's going to exist um, and it's going to be an issue for for probably until we go home to see to see him when he returns and it's 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 done and we're going to see those things and a fake faith is a real issue and it's a real issue in our day as well so in context i wanted to kind of break down what each piece of this set of verses is and then i want to get into something uh kind of more uh more uh centralized and see kind of what it what it means um, so 
in context, what we see in verses uh, chap- verses of chapter 7, 1 through 15, we see God telling Jeremiah what he's going to preach. This is, this is what you're to preach. And then we go into verses 16 through 20 of chapter 7, and God is telling Jeremiah not to even pray for them because his anger is already kindled. He's already feeling wrathful. He said, don't even pray for them. And then chapter 7... Uh, verse 21 through chapter 8, verse 3, we see the outcome. The wrath is, is going to be poured out uh, on this people. So taking that context into consideration, let's, I wanted to look at it kind of as it's written. Um, it's, we're going to examine it from the form that Jeremiah probably gave it to the people as a sermon. So I wanted to break it down into sermon uh, style to help us grasp all the different concepts we're going to see here. So first we're going to start with the sermon intro. And that sermon intro is uh, chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words, saying, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. So this is Jeremiah's sermon in a sentence. This is, this is how he began it. Um, and to put it in, our, in today's context, it would be something like straighten up and, and turn from the direction, the current path you're on, and stop listening to all of the liars who were so loud in their culture at that time. These people had turned from all that God had told them. He gave his word, he gave his law, and they had turned away from it. And I pray that, that we all trust in God's word over the lies that we have to deal with all the time. Um, if we want to deal with lies, all we got to do is turn on the TV. I mean, you know, our culture is so full of it that it's it's it can be difficult for us to just want to continue forward sometimes it's so 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 heavy and so difficult but you know we have the word of god we have his truth and as long as we trust in what his truth says then we can face those things even though they're difficult um so then we go to point one of his sermon he's a he's he must be baptist because he's got three points so we go to point one and that point is make it right make it right versus uh Five through seven of chapter seven say, For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly practice justice between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the alien and the orphan or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, nor walk after other gods to your own ruin, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Notice that he doesn't just tell them to, to stop doing something. Um, he doesn't tell them just to stop acting up. But he says to stop doing something, and then he wants him to fill their lives with practicing different things. Instead of worshiping idols, he wants them to help the widow and the orphan. 
He wants them to make it right. Now, for many, in many visible churches, this is probably a good idea. But what we need to understand is we're in the Old Testament. This is not a recipe for salvation. We don't stop acting bad and start acting good for our salvation because that doesn't work. Because we're saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus alone. And thank goodness. Because as I look at this, I don't know that I could s stop and just start acting good. And, it's, and that's the joy of, of our redemption in Christ, right? It is, I think, though, a recipe for helping us to show forth the glory of God, to replace those things with doing good and helping. And that's one thing that our church, I think, is, is, is really good about, is trying to, if we see somebody in need, let's, let's reach out and help in the way that we can. Most of all, help by giving the gospel. And I think that's a, that's a good recipe for, for showing God's glory. And um, I think his people uh, will desire to do good in this world. Um, we, uh, we already have some pretty good things to our credit. Um, we started hospitals. We started uh, orphanages. We started all these different programs that help people. So I think we've got a pretty good record so far of doing good as a Christian uh, Christianity. So I think we see as 100% true that we'll desire to do good in this world if we're in Christ. Now, point two, he continues uh, in verses 8 through 15 of this uh, chapter of chapter 7. And he says, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. At the root of the issue is that in this context, these people thought they were safe because of their location. They were located in a place where the temple of the Lord was, right? That's why they said, uh, he says, do not trust in the deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, right? Well, they thought, well, we're, we have God's temple here. We're safe. We're fine. Everything's good. We can do whatever we want and act in any, any way that we want. And we don't have to follow his word because we're, we're protected because of our location. And I think there are some modern connections there that are kind of staggering if we think about it. Um, because they supported the temple. They probably gave their tithes of, of all their different things. And uh, yet they worshipped idols. They rejected God's word, and, and there's even some instances where they were putting those idols in that temple. So there are many that are like this today, and I think it manifests in a few different ways. We see, you know, in the church we see false professors, people who profess Christ but have no fruit of, of salvation whatsoever, and so a lot of them are never challenged in the church to, to, to look at their faith, to, to, to say, am I in the faith? You know, like, like Paul talks about, challenge yourself to see if you're even in it. Well, they never get that because it's all about numbers. Then we see people who think they're good because of legacy or giving. You know, we, um, we are believers in what God's word says, that there is only one way to God, and that is through Christ. And it's not through, my family's always been at this church, or my, or I, I give my 10%. And that's, that's one good thing about being in a young church, right? We don't have a lot of that in this one anyway. 
But, you know, it's about Christ and about being in him. And then we see, and we see it more and more, and unfortunately these are the churches that, that gain the most uh, uh, exposure, so to speak, through the media as churches that have left the word behind for growth and, prop, growth and popularity. And we pray for those people who are in those type of churches that they would lead those churches and find biblical churches. Or they, or, and God would shut the doors of places like that because we, don't, we want people to hear the gospel, not some kind of message that has nothing to do with the word of God. But that's why it's so essential to find a biblical church that preaches the entire word. You know, that's one thing we do here. We, we preach expositorily. We preach from beginning to end of the book, even the hard stuff. And, you know, John was, uh, had some difficult passages in him. When you get into chapter 6 and chapter 10, and there's some things said that some people may not like, but it's the Word of God, so we rely on the Word of God. And I preached through... Uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Romans and if you've preached through chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Romans you have to say some difficult things sometimes I know Kelby did the same thing there's some difficult things there but we rely on God's word to stand we preach all of it um, Stephen Smith I think said something that was very poignant in his commentary about this he said yes the church is eternal but we have no immunity from God's discipline and I think that's made clear through the words of Christ himself in the book of Revelation. Chapter 2, verse 5 says, Therefore remember where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. In chapter 2, verse 16, he said, Therefore repent, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. That being his word, of course. And then Revelation chapter 3, verse 3 says, So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come to you. Now, those words were written to the church at Ephesus, the church at Pergamum, and the church at Sardis. So God does discipline his church sometimes and sometimes you know what we need it we need it all these warnings were given to churches and i pray that we would be a church that is quick to listen when god's discipline comes and he says to repent i pray that we would be that kind of church so point three is almost a way of application um it's in verses 21 through 26 of chapter 7. And I wanted to read to you verse, verse 22 and 23 of that chapter. For I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you will be my people, and you will walk in all the way which I command you, that it may be well with you. Other parts of Scripture make it clear that God desires obedience, not sacrifice. 
right? He even says it clearly. The fact that God tells Jeremiah not to pray for them, that's a stiff thing to say. That's, that's tough. But there was a reason why he said that. What had they done? First thing, they had started abusing one another. They had broken the commandments. They had started abusing one another and treating each other terribly and treating orphans and widows and uh, out and people who were outcasts or um, maybe not from Israel. They started treating them badly. They had started worshiping Baal or as um, a Hebrew scholar would say, Baal. They started worshiping Baal. Casting their children into the fire. They had began worshiping something that we don't hear very often here, the queen of heaven. Now, um, just a quick cultural tie, the queen of heaven, um, that um, in, in some uh, feminist circles has taken some root. Um, some say Lilith, some say queen of heaven. They uh, trying to elevate a gender above another gender when really God looks at us as, as children. But what was the real issue? What was the real heart of all these things to be abusive to one another, to worship Baal or the queen of heaven? What was the root of that? Very simply, disobedient hearts. They refused to listen to God and how he spoke to him, spoke to them in his word. Now, it's clearly recorded here in Jeremiah that his people would not listen. But here's the thing. This, they're not alone. I mean, this isn't some aberrant situation that happened, and my goodness, I can't believe this even happened, that God's children didn't listen to him, right? Uh, it's a theme throughout Scripture. Adam and Eve. They were told not to do one thing, and what's the one thing they did? What they were told not to do. The children of Israel, as they were brought out of Egypt, all they did was be disobedient. And then we see King Saul. King Saul was told, kill them all, kill everything. And then what happens? In walks Samuel, and he says, what's this, what's this sheep I hear in my, in my ear? Oh, some of the guys decided to keep that. And also, we've got the king, King Agag, right? So what did, what did Samuel have to do? I mean, this was the first big battle for Saul, and Samuel said, bring me that king. And he hacked him to pieces right in front of him, and he said, you will not be king over Israel. And then later on, we see David, who also wasn't that obedient at times. We see the Pharisees, who are supposed to know the word so good in Jesus' time, and they are so disobedient. We see the churches and the epistles that Paul has the right to. So, like, you foolish Galatians, who taught you to turn from the gospel that I preached, right? Or the, or the Corinthians, that he has to write two full epistles to, to, to try and straighten them out, right? 
and those churches in the book of Revelation that we talked about just a minute ago. You know, it wasn't about their ability to hear God. It was about willingness to hear God. And God, as we know, speaks to us through his word. And when you leave his word behind, you're not going you're, you're, you're to be obedient to him. The one conclusion that we see from all of these things is that God is going to punish Israel. So at this point, um, Jeremiah may have said, and in conclusion, and in verse 7, 30 through 8, 3, he gives kind of that, that, that little bit of conclusion. And what we see is the conclusion is that the consequence of disobedience is God's wrath. And I don't think it gets much more clear than what he says in 729 when he says, Cut off your hair and cast it away, and take up a lamentation on the bare heights, for the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. Doesn't get much clearer than that. They've, they've rejected him, they've been disobedient, and now they're going to experience the wrath, which is from the north they're coming to take him slaves. So, how can we apply this? And I think that we can actually take some pretty good hope from this. Because we need to base our hope and our faith, first of all, in Scripture and that it is pointing us to Christ. And not leave it behind. Not, not, not disobey it, not forget it, not leave it as something that Maybe we just hear on Sundays, but to, to grasp his wor word and, and, and love it and, and meditate upon it daily. Because it's pointing us to Christ, who is the author and finisher of our faith. Don't base our, our hope and our faith on lies that we might hear a televangelist give us. That if you'll send me this money, you'll get this. Or if you'll uh, pray this way this many times a day, you'll get this. These are things that are... Um, prevalent in the Catholic Church. If if you act right, you'll be good. If you pray the rosary, you'll be forgiven. If you continue doing right things, those things are, are prevalent there. They're not prevalent here because it's not true. We know that who the, who the object of our faith is because of the word that he gives us. And in that we have hope and faith. Secondly, don't trust in men or movements more than Christ. Um, some of you may remember um, from mid to late 70s all the way through like the end of the 80s, some of the early 90s, there was that word of faith movement where they were filling stadiums with people thinking they were going to get healed and they'd be laughing hysterically and falling out of their seats and all this stuff. And it amounted to nothing. When I was when when I was saved at sixteen, what was really big was the revival movement, the Brownsville revival, and Pensacola, and then Lakeland, and all these other revivals that somehow fizzled out. And then you learned that it's because the men who were over it were 
either unfaithful to their wives or were sliding money under the table. So we can't trust in men or movements. We need to trust in Christ. Thirdly, we need to understand that Christ is our only hope to be right with God. This people were faced with something that most of them couldn't do. Turn from that junk and start acting right and doing the right things. And most of them, because they had left God's word behind, they didn't even have a basis to, to put that on. We have Christ, who was so wonderful and took our sin upon himself that we can rely on him that he takes away our robe of filth and, and nastiness and he lays upon us the robe of righteousness through him, which is wonderful. Fourthly, do those things that truly bring glory to God. And we can do those things because the Holy Spirit is alive within us. And the Bible talks about how he has prepared us for good works, which he, pre he prepared these things in advance for us to do them, right? And we can only do those through having Christ as our Savior. And lastly, and I hope this is the one that, that hammers home for all of us, that we draw closer to Christ, for he has satisfied God's wrath for all those who are in Christ. That the wrath that God has for sin will not be poured out upon us because we are in Christ, and Christ fully satisfied that wrath for his people. And we can rely and trust in that, which is a wonderful thing. Now, next week, we're going to be reading chapter 8, verse 4, through chapter 9, verse 26. So we'll be ready for next week.